So there's a <clears throat> poet philosopher called Marcel Proust. And he says, the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. Having new eyes. That's what the the Dharma journey is about. Mm. Having new eyes, which means new, new ways of perceiving, new ways of seeing, therefore new ways of understanding our experience and the way things are. So today we began uh, looking a little bit more closely at mindfulness of mind. And many people turn their attention more closely to the mind and looking at what is it? What is this mind? What does this mind do? How is this mind? And Don gave very clear and specific instructions for how we could do that if we wanted to. And I think that probably even even before we turned the mindfulness towards the mind, I think we all had come to the conclusion already that minds think. This is what minds do. Minds think. They weave stories and they play music. (laughs) Some people tell me. I don't have a lot of music, but some people have a lot of music. It's like having a radio on, right? And there's a commentator on that radio. And it, or we could say it's like having the TV on, you know? It's just this constant commentating, which is what happens now on TV, <laughs> almost 24 hours, right? And one of, the, one of my Tibetan teachers pointed out that not only are there uh, commentators, you know, the anchor people sitting there at, in their chairs, but now you also get the ticker tape going underneath along the bottom that's giving you a whole nother set of news, Right? So if, you're, if you don't like the news <laughs> on that level, you can look at the news on another level. So the, this is like the mind. You know, it's like there's even little ticker tapes <laughs> telling you more things than what the commentator is telling you. Right? And so this is what we find out. And what's so interesting is that, my, in my experience, in all the years of... of my practice, which is many years now, I have, I have not noticed this turning off. It does not turn off. And, and, and one of the, probably one of my greatest experiments was when I did a, um, a three-month concentration retreat. You know, so really getting the mind very, very honed in, very uh, concentrated, very one-pointed. Still didn't turn off. <laughs> it was just like the, like the ticker tape, right? There were there were certainly some moments where the mind was quiet because that's what deep concentration does. There are certain uh, experiences where the mind does get quiet for a little bit longer, <laughs> not not permanently. As soon as as soon as that channel or that frequency shifts of the concentration, then the mind is just back, like the radio, like having a radio on in the background. 
So this, so this isn't the problem. I mean, it can't be the problem because there's nothing we can do about it, right? So, so the teachings actually help us come into a wiser relationship, a, a more friendly relationship with this mind. The Buddha essentially says in his teaching, know the mind as the mind, know it for what it is. Just know the mind as the mind. That's the primary instruction of mindfulness. Just when, it, when it's there, know it's the mind. But in, in, the, in, the, in the reason for knowing the mind is the mind because, is because we want to develop insight into the nature of the mind. What is it? And this is what we began doing today. We started looking a little bit more carefully to see what, what is actually going on there. And one of the things we discover is that it's constantly changing. So the Buddha says that one of the characteristics of the mind, and actually the characteristic of all things, is that it's impermanent. It doesn't stay the same. It's in constant change, constant, uh, constant shift. The Buddha also says what we can see is that it doesn't actually have a lot of substance to it, a lot of so- solidity to it. It's just, it's just this constant stream of thought that is like, like water, almost flowing, fluid, constantly telling us new things, weaving new stories. So it's, it, it's called insubstantial. So we can see that. We, see, we can see that directly. We don't have to be told. We don't have to believe it. We just see, oh yeah, it doesn't stay the same. And the third thing the Buddha says is that when we look at the mind, we see that it's actually subject to clinging, which leads to pain and leads to suffering. So he says, look at these three characteristics of, of the mind or the, or the experience. That it's, it's impermanent, it's constantly changing, it's not so substantial or solid, and it's subject to clinging, subject to us holding on to it, which causes suffering. And because of that, we want to understand how not to cling so that we can be free, free of that suffering, right? So this, this, this subject to clinging, subject to suffering, which in the, in the teachings is called dukkha. For those of you who know the Buddhist, it's dukkha. It's another good word to kind of ha- have around, dukkha. It means dissatisfaction or it's not satisfactory, uh, or, or sometimes suffering it has that suffering element to it, painful element to it. Why is this? It's not only that we cling, we cling to our to our stories, to our thoughts, but it is it's as if we climb in to the stories. It's the we have the experience of being in it, like it's real, really happening. When I think and I remember having a conversation with somebody, maybe it's a difficult conversation, it seems like I'm right there. It's happening. And I can feel the whole visceral reaction as if it's, I'm right in the present moment. Or even if we're having a fantasy. Uh, I, I used to fantasize a lot about being on tropical islands. That was my go-to was <laughs> tropical islands and just these great fantasies as if I was really there. That's why I went there because it felt like it was really there, right? <laughs> and then I had the whole visceral experience of being there. 
until, until one time I actually went to a tropical island and found out what the reality was in that particular experience. And it was very, very hot. It was about 106 degrees, and I almost died of donkey fever. So, you know, that kind of broke that fantasy. <laughs> so so we, we climb in to, to these stories. And, and if we don't have some understanding of, these, of the insight that the Buddha is offering for us to examine, we can actually often feel trapped in our stories, trapped in the way that we are, are um, generating those, those stories. And, and it's as if we've climbed into a box or we have been imprisoned. The Buddha uses that, ex- that, that metaphor of being imprisoned by, by our minds. And, and we can become fearful. There's, it's so easy in that kind of feeling like we're, we're, we're trapped or we're, we're, we're stuck. We can become afraid and fearful of that. And we can't find our way out. It's like, I don't know how to get out. I remember a long, a long time in, uh, ago in my early practice, I, I kept this, had this phrase, stop the world, I want to get off. It's like, stop the world, I want to get off. I didn't know how to get off, how to get out. We become identified with our minds, with our stories. There's a wonderful metaphor, the, the analogy that I, I probably teach on every retreat because I love it so much. And um, it's this little story that, uh, about this uh, caveman back in the, in the caveman days. And this caveman went into one of his caves. He was an artist, and he started to paint the walls like they did back in the, those ancient times. And he was painting this wall, and he was painting this tiger was absolutely exquisite, perfect rendition of this tiger. And just as he was getting right to the end, you know, maybe the last little hairs on the, on the tail, whatever, he stepped back and he went, oh my God, a tiger! And he ran out of the cave. And I love that, because that's what we do. We, we paint these elaborate and wonderful uh, paintings, uh, creations, and sometimes they scare us. It's like, oh my God. And we want to run away. We want to get out. But we don't really see what we've just done. We don't see that we've actually painted the painting. We've the one who, who has generated that image, right? that story. Stories can also be happy, of course. It's not that all the stories we climb into are are painful or, or scary or um, difficult. Sometimes they're very happy stories. But if we don't see in the same way that the Buddha is, is suggesting, these also can be another trap. And we can probably see this within our, our own experience because we could live in those fantasies as if that's how reality really is. You know, happy, happy, happy. Everything's so wonderful. Everything's so good in my life. And then it changes. And we get blindsided because it's not so happy anymore and we weren't open to the truth that things change. And we have to hold it all quite lightly because we don't know 
what's going to happen. Jack Kornfield has this wonderful way of saying things can change as quickly as the swish of a horse's tail. As quickly as the swish of a horse's tail. He said that to me one time when I was talking about something that has that it changed and, and that image is stuck with me. A swish, because that's how it felt. Just like that, just out of nowhere. Right? So the Buddha said, we have to pay attention, be mindful, be watchful, because our perceptions get distorted. We don't see so clearly. He said that one of the main things we have to pay attention to is taking that which is impermanent as permanent. And he said, this is one of the greatest misperceptions that, that, that the human mind falls into is taking that which is impermanent as permanent. And we can see this. We can see that when something's happening, say we have a pain in our back or, you know, pain in our shoulder, it does seem like it's going to be there forever. <laughs> right? But it's never, it's never going to change. How am I ever going to get out of this? Right? And there can be a, a forgetting. Of course it's going to change. All things change. We don't know when. It may not be according to our own timeline, <laughs> but it will change, right? Or a difficult mind state, you know, or a fear state. I mean, some very painful states. We think they're going to be forever. Anxiety is like that, right? But as we start to look with new eyes, we can perhaps hold things a little bit more lightly, even when they are difficult, The Buddha says that when we see impermanence as permanent, this is unwise view. It's not wise. And our, our, our practice is to, with the new eyes, to see with wise view. Wise view. Wise view means to see the Dharma. To see the Dharma. To see, Dharma means truth. To see the truth. To see the way things are to see the Dharma in every moment is our practice, to see the Dharma in every moment, see that things are impermanent, see that things are not so solid, not so substantial, to see that things are subject to clinging if we don't pay attention. We could get, get, get stuck. We, can get, we could climb in and think that this is going to be permanent forever. Sama, the Pali word sama, it, sama means wise, it means beautiful. It means something that brings clarity to the mind. Something that brings clarity to the mind. Dharma. Right? Sama, wise view. So he says, pay attention. Pay attention, which is what we've been doing here. We're can setting the conditions in a way that clears out a lot of the distractions, a lot of the things that we usually get caught up in so that we can settle a little bit more. People have talked about this in the small groups. Settle a little bit more, get more calm, and then it, some things start to open. They, re- they reveal, things are revealed to us in ways that are very surprising. because We see the Dharma, right? We see the way things really are.
one of the one of the suttas that the uh, the teachings uh, in the texts, the Buddha talks about that when we when one sees impermanence, then consciousness doesn't get stuck on the object. When a, a thought arises, consciousness doesn't stick to it. It sees that it's going to come and go. He says that that when we don't see impermanence, it's like flies getting stuck on a ball of sugar. You know, we, we stick to it. And if you've ever been in India, um, you know why that metaphor is so popular, <laughs> because there are flies on all the balls of sugar that are all around uh, in the streets and on, in, the, in the markets. And um, it's just like that. It's, they stick, sticky. It's sticky like Velcro. You know, we call it Velcro mind. You know, it just, y'all know Velcro, right? It's just, you know, two, two pieces that stick together and you have to pull them apart, right? We call this in our tradition Velcro mind, right? When we get stuck like that. And as one teacher pointed out, this is not a state of realization. Right? This, is, this is not what we're aiming for. <laughs> it's this Velcro mind, right? So when we get identified with our experience in this way through our stories and our, our uh, uh, descriptions, our commentaries, you know, all the ways that we uh, begin to narrate our experience. This is what gives us a sense of who we are. This is, this is what starts to describe ourselves to ourselves, and this is who we take ourselves to be, and this is what gives us a sense of our reality. It's through, it's through this whole way we construct our narrative, our storyline. And, and if we're not seeing it for what it is, we can feel very narrow, narrowed by that, very limited by that, very small. So we're, we're seeing, can we see this with new eyes? Can we see this a little bit differently? Rather than, I am my story. Right? I am fill in the blank, right? I am a sick person. I am an old person. I am an angry person. I am a poor person. It's essentially saying, I am my body. I am my mind. And that's as far as the identification goes. We're not seeing the whole picture. We're not, and oftentimes we're not questioning that. We're just saying, that's how it is. That's, that's who I am. And for me, you know, as I'm getting older, and, uh, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I really need to work with is like, I'm an old person, right? And other people are telling me that sometimes too. You know, the culture, the culture is telling me that, you know, that I'm an old person, you know, over 65, you know, Medicare and, you know, more hospital visits and, you know, the body starting to break down and, you know, aging, right? But is that all I am? 
Right? That could be an easy one to climb into. Lots of women do. Lots of women climb into that one. So I have to be watchful. I have to pay attention. So I don't become small. I don't become narrow. I don't become identified. And then, and then I, I, can, I, I have moments where I know where that, that, that feeling is like. I, like I just start to shrink. It's just a shrinking and becoming more invisible. Right? Older people tend to become more invisible anyhow. That's a cultural thing. And so if I wasn't paying attention, I could just climb into that whole thing, climb into my, whole st- my own story and, and climb into the cultural story and I'm done. Like life is over, I may as well die. <laughs> you know? So, 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 so easy. These are we could call these rabbit holes, right? We could we could just go down these rabbit holes, depending on who, how we identify ourselves and who we take ourselves to be. And without awareness, without paying attention, then what I think is what I become. That is what happens in this human life. Without awareness without new eyes, without dhamma eyes, without spiritual eyes, where we know there's more to the picture. This is not the whole picture. The way that I am perceiving or the appearance of things is not the whole picture. It's more than that. It goes back to that quote from the Buddha that I spoke this morning where the Buddha says, Non-identification with anything has been declared by the Blessed One. For in whatever way one conceives, the fact is other than that. Whatever way one conceives, whatever way the mind conceives, the fact is other than that. Just because we're perceiving that something that way doesn't mean that's the way it is or that's who that person is. And we get so caught in our projections and our identifications, not only with ourselves, but with others. That's who that person is. You know, we often do that because of the color of somebody's skin or the the shape of somebody's body or uh, different things that we perceive about that person that we like or we don't like or we resist or we become afraid of. And all these ways we climb into these stories and that becomes our reality. And of course, I'm, I want to be, you know, I want to say this too, because I'm not denying that many of, many of us find ourselves or have found ourselves in difficult circumstances. Really, this is a, a really important point, is really depending on our cultural and social conditioning. It, it's difficult. It's not just a story. I, wanna, I just really want to make this point as we carry on with this exploration. Because there's so many different factors. There's so many different forms of systemic prejudices and um, uh, prejudices around uh, race and sexual orientation, shapes of bodies, physical and mental capacities, um, economic disparities, all forms of oppression that are real. So the Buddha has never said that this is not real. 
And so this is, I think this is, gets confusing in the, Dham, in the Dhamma teachings because um, it, there's so much pointing to the insubstantial, you know, sometimes the more illusory, it's all illusion, you might have heard that in the spiritual traditions, you know, and, and that's not the whole story. Again, that's not the whole story. So, so wise view says, Dhamma view says, that's true, that's real, and it's not the whole story. It's not the whole picture. It's not all of who I am, it's not all of who you are, it's not all of who anybody is. That we are more than that. And, and when, when there's unwise view, when there's distortions in the perceptions, then we, are, we climb into our projections. We climb into those, those systemic uh, stories, cultural stories. And then that becomes the reality that people are acting out of. This is such a, this is like, this is where we can start to break that up. Free ourselves. We can free ourselves when we start to see how we are making those projections. How we are generating those projections and those stories, those beliefs, which then brings the whole, the whole world into play the way that it is. So we are examining this more deeply. We're examining the mind and the way the mind is subject to clinging, subject to suffering, subject to pain. We, we we're examining that because this is where the path of freedom lies. And it's not just the freedom for me. It's the freedom for everyone. <laughs> because we're all tangled up together. We're all, we're all in this together. There's nobody who's outside of this. And if anyone think, thinks they are, then they really are living in illusion. Yeah. So, so sometimes when we start to walk into these teachings, we can see how really not only significant they are, but how absolutely necessary they are. You know, one teacher, Cynthia Bourgeau, said once uh, recently, she said, meditation is no longer a luxury. Meditation is a necessity. Right? When I started, it was a luxury. And it was usually for people who had time and money, you know, more privileged people. And it was a luxury. It isn't anymore. It can't be anymore. It's a necessity if we want to if we want to survive as a species. Is the way I look at it. <laughs> We're doing a lot of damage here. <laughs> so, so one of the one of the pathways. This is the, begin to go down this pathway and look more carefully at how these constructions come about within our own mind, and therefore within our own heart, and then we. We shape our reality in that way. I want to tell um, a little story about one of my experiences when I climbed into something that was very scary. A couple of years ago, 
it was just really caught me, kind of surprised me, because I, I was just watching a, um, a movie on, on TV at home by myself. You know, we do that, right? I was just home by myself. I was watching a movie. And <laughs> this movie, it was a movie uh, uh, called Amour, French movie. And it was about um, uh, two retired music teachers, George and Anne, who were in their 70s, around. And um, Anne had a, a stroke, and she got paralyzed down her right side. Right side. <laughs> and um, she went in for surgery to see if they could, you know, help with the par- paralysis. And the surgery went very badly. And it was like one of these stories where it just went, started going downhill. <laughs> and then the next thing that happened was that she um, was confined to a wheelchair. And she asked her husband to uh, promise not to send her away. So he wanted, she wanted him to look after her. And, and so, so here they were in this, um, together in this house. And the movie was really showing this incredibly difficult struggle and, and out of this love and, and deep, deep affection that they had for each other, but just how hard it got. It was I mean, really, really pa- painful. And then, and then she dies. And, and then there's a very, you know, this French, French movies have these kind of endings where he lies down on a bed, and you don't know whether he just died when the movie ends. But it's, it's, you know, so I'm watching this and I'm noticing that I am just getting really frightened and I, and I started to examine my own mind, like, what's going on? Because I don't, I don't usually experience this, this kind of fear in relationship to watching a movie. And I was getting so frightened and what I, what I noticed was that I was starting to believe that my demise was going to be just like hers that that was going to happen to me. And I really started go, going right into that story that, oh my gosh, like that's, that's probably going to happen to me. And I'm going to have a stroke and I'm going to get paralyzed. I'm going to be confined to a wheelchair and I'm going to die in this wheelchair. And I was just like <laughs> really going, going into it. And, and, the, and this proliferation that Don was talking about this morning, you know, the mind... This papancha, which means, uh, it's a great, great translation, is it means to spread out. <laughs> papancha, the mind spreads out. <laughs> and I could just, I was just going right down that rabbit hole and feeling really, really frightened. And I was getting all, I was defined, defining myself based on that experience. In that moment, I became someone who was going to die just like her. And it was very frightening. And it wasn't just my body that was going to die. I was going to die. And, and I, was comp- I was very, very identified with that. And I just, I just walked right into it. And it completely caught me off guard completely surprised me. And so I have my practice. 
right? I have my practice. So I'm noticing this arising. I'm noticing it stronger. I'm noticing I'm getting really frightened and how much I'm believing it because I'm inquiring into it. It's like, what's going on? And then I see the story. I see what's going on. And then, and then I was seeing how my imagination was just taking over here. And I asked myself, what's really going on? What's really going on? And then I could, I stopped and I paused and I listened and I realized I don't know what's going to happen. I'm making this up. I, I have no idea how I'm going to die. All I know is I'm going to die. Because all of us are going to die. If we're born, we're going to die. Everything that is born in this universe is going to pass away, is going to die. That's the impermanent nature of all things. So, so I, I, I didn't have a, a problem in that moment with the fact that I was going to die. I mean, I knew that, but I didn't want to die like that. <laughs> and so I just thought, I have no idea. I have no idea. This is all my mind. It's all my mind. So I was able to ground a little bit more. I was able to relax a little bit more, feel a little bit more space as soon as I had that recognition that I didn't know, that I was making it up. I could start to feel more space and as that happened, the fear started to slip away. When I came back, it was like, okay, I'm back now. just back in being the person that I was without, you know, knowing I'm going to die sometime, big deal, you know. So what was happening as I really sensed into it was just this momentary, these momentary waves of thoughts and feelings and images and body sensations. They were just floating in and out of consciousness, you know. And when I really could just see the impermanent nature and the insubstantial nature of this changing experience, I could start to open to the larger view. I could start to see the way things really were. Just these thoughts and feelings and images and sensations, even, even... as it was taking on some anxiety and fear, it was still just bodily sensations, some thoughts, some contractions. And the whole thing just started to break up. This is from one of the great, the greatest, actually, Tibetan Rinpoche's, uh, who's no longer alive. But he, This is one of his famous uh, quotes. Kalu Rinpoche, he says, We live in illusion and the appearance of things. There is a reality. You are that reality. When you understand this, you will see that you are nothing. And being nothing, you are everything. That is all. That is all. Being nothing... You are everything. That openness, that spaciousness of what we might call the nothing in that moment allows everything 
to appear. Nothing is hindered. Nothing is obscured. Nothing's in the way. Everything is present. As I disengage from that grip of my mind, of the cage, the imprisoned, the, the prison cage of my mind, I open to a reality that's much different than I can even imagine. I can't imagine the reality of what's going to be. My mind can't even imagine. Things turn out so differently. I mean, we don't have to think too deeply about that. (laughs) You know, we think we're going in one direction and then something else occurs. You know, there was a movie made about that with, um, um, I can't think of her name right now, called Sliding Doors. Gwyneth Paltrow. Sliding Doors. If you haven't seen it, it's a great stream. It right. It's a. She was going to get in one door on the train, but it it closed, and so she got in another door, and her whole destiny changed. Right. Right. We don't know. It's it's beyond our imaginations. We we have fun with our imaginations, and sometimes not so much fun with our imaginations. But it's all going to be different than any way we can imagine it. As the Buddha says, any way that I conceive it, the fact is different than that. Right? The fact is different than that. So as I disinde- disidentify from these conceptions, I let go, something opens up. And yet it requires allowing ex- allowing experience in such a way that I, I fully go into it so I can see the transparency. I can see the lack of solidity. It's, it, I, 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 I can allow things to reveal their underlying nature rather than taking things so... Uh, just believing that things are just the way that I think they appear. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not allowing something more to be revealed. Let something else open. Like let the mind soften, let the mind open. And something else comes through. It's completely surprising. Completely unimaginable. Mysterious at times. Even fear. Even as I allow myself to feel the fear, as I did that evening, you know, and just just letting it be there, it's inquiring, questioning what's happening, what's going on. And as I did that, really starting to allow something to be revealed in that, so that I could start to come out of that cage of my mind. And in this way, we start to become free of our fixations, free of our identifications, free of our projections. And the ordinary mind, this ordinary conceptual mind, begins to break up and fall away. And we land in the ground of our being. We land in the ground of our being. 
just as we are. No overlays, nothing extra, just as it is. The ego, who we take ourselves to be, does experience this as a kind of death. We call it ego death. And when you hear that, that phrase, you hear that phrase in spiritual traditions, ego death. That means that we're, we're no longer buying in to the ego story, the, the story of me, the story of self. Right? We're opening, we're allowing, we're, we're, we're sensing into something that is more than that, larger than that. Something that wants to be revealed through this awareness, this consciousness. And so therefore, of course, it's hard to let go because as we know, the ego mind will hold on for dear life, particularly because it knows what's coming. (laughs) That if you let go, it no longer has a role. So it's going to do everything it possibly can to stay on its throne. And it gets, the ego mind gets very, very deceptive. It'll tell you all kinds of things like, what are you doing at a meditation retreat? Don't you know this is just a waste of time? This isn't going to get you anywhere. You think you're really going to get free? You'll never get free. You don't even have what it takes to get free. You know, I don't even know why you started. I mean, you know, it'll get, it'll get really mean. The mind will get very mean. To try to keep its grip, to try to keep its hold, its control. And so until we start seeing the mind for what it is, that is what's going to be regenerated again and again and again. Until we say, mm, I don't know if I'm going to believe that anymore. I don't know if I'm going to listen to that anymore. I want to listen to something else, as Don said this morning. Let's try something new. <laughs> Let's try something new. Mm-hmm. Right? So maybe that's a, a good place to end this talk. Let's try something new. <laughs> Let's do something differently than what we've been doing or what we're being told to do by these uh, constructs in our mind. Just try something different. And that's what the Dharma is. That's what the Buddha's teachings are. It's like, try this. The Buddha, it's it's lovely. The, the, The Buddha doesn't say, this is the way. The Buddha says, you know, try this if you like. You can keep doing what you're doing and going down that road that's leading you to suffering. But if you'd like to, I mean, this is the whole sutra, the whole, the whole teaching where the, this, this is how it's translated and the Buddha says, but if you would like, you could try this. You could do it differently. You know? So it's really an invitation. The Buddha is just offering us a, a map, offering an invitation. If we'd like to try and see, no, and if you don't, that's okay too. Doesn't matter. 
He says, I took responsibility for my own awakening. Now you need to take responsibility for yours. But here's a map, if you like. This might help, if you like. So I'll, I'll end with this Rumi poem. We like Rumi. He says, don't worry about saving these songs. And if one of our instruments breaks, it doesn't matter. We have fallen into the place where everything is music. The strumming and the flute notes rise in the atmosphere. And even if the whole world's harp should burn up, there will still be hidden instruments playing. There will still be hidden instruments playing. Let's sit for a moment or two. share one last little story. Pooh was walking with Piglet. And Piglet said, supposing a tree fell down, Pooh, when we were standing right underneath it. And Pooh said, supposing it didn't. And after careful thought, Piglet was comforted by that. Thank you.
for your attention. Um, it's about 20 after 8 right now. Take some time for some walking or continued sitting, and I'm sure you have um, something to occupy yourself with. <laughs> we'll see you at uh, 9 o'clock, and we'll do some chanting. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.